the weapon being the Word of God. I have to say that carefully in a house that packs. But if you have a weapon, go with me to uh, two definitions, or two, two uh, pronunciations, rather, Habakkuk and Habakkuk. Habakkuk and Habakkuk. Say that fast three times. Habakkuk and Habakkuk. The uh, first chapter, we've been looking at the second chapter in, in detail the past few sessions, but I just, I want to obey the Lord this morning. Jennifer, the Lord wanted me to tell you, did I lose Jennifer? There you are. The Lord wanted me to tell you that what you brought with you, you're not going to leave with. You're going to leave a burden here this morning. God is in control, and he's watching over, and a lot of this message is for you about waiting on the Lord. But I just wanted to be obedient to the Lord and tell you, you're not going to leave with the weight you came in under. A single mom that loves the Lord, loves her boys, loves her church. It's always a joy to have you in the house. I just want to be obedient. Can we just give the Lord a hand clap of, of just taking care of burdens? There's a song that says, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Last Wednesday, I probably made the best ice cream I've ever made in my life. It was mango peach, and we, we wouldn't have had mango had it not been for Miss Kelly. She peeled about 80-some-odd mangoes, and the next couple of weeks is going to be mango something because we got a bunch of mangoes in the, in the deep freeze. But, but it's, it's good when brethren get together and dwell in the house of the Lord. And if you've never been on a Wednesday night, it's worth the effort. Uh, it's worth the effort of just coming and learning and, and hearing the testimonies and doing the, the lessons and the fellowship. There's nothing like fellowship, two fellows in a ship. There's nothing, there's nothing like that. And we encourage you to come and be a part. It's an hour and 15 minutes. And, uh, but as Pastor Ron had mentioned, we won't be here this Wednesday. Uh, I may kind of hang around in case somebody comes and doesn't know how to get to OCI. I might... I might uh, how many of you don't know how to get to OCI and you, you want to come be a part? Is there anybody? Okay, if you all know how to get there, then I won't be hanging around. I'll be doing something else. I have no intention of going to OCI. I think I'll go home and eat Taco Bell or something like that. Unless you really need me. If you really need me, I'll come and be a part. If you'll look with me just for a moment. At a back at the first chapter and the first verse. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou will not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou will not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are they that raise up strife and contention. Tough time in Habakkuk's life, as most of you know, most of the minor prophets were murdered. They were assassinated for their testimony, their stand for God. Habakkuk had a burden from the Lord. It was a burden of restoration and a burden of salvation. He had certainly heard of the former house and the glory of, of all that God did with David, and all that God did with Solomon. And there was a season when Israel had conquered the world and the entire world paid homage to Israel. It was a fascinating generation. It was a fascinating people. They definitely had the hand of God on their life. They were chosen. God chose 
Abraham and then his son and then the 12 sons of Jacob, and God honored uh, the Israeli nation, and there was favor in the house. But the people of God got away from the things of God. And instead of letting God be their judge and God being their king, they selected a man and began to follow the footsteps of a man, and it led them to debauchery and challenge and frustration and contention and all kinds of things going on. And here Habakkuk is right in the middle of this pity party, looking what is going on. What is so good to the, in this story is that in all of his frustration, he called out to God. And when he called out to God, know that when you call out to God, God hears. The Bible said his ear is not heavy that he cannot hear, and his hand is not short that he cannot save. The challenge there that separates us from God, obviously, is sin. And sin will destroy that fellowship and that camaraderie and that relationship. And this nation had, had fallen under the weight and the power and the guilt of sin. And if there ever was a parallel civilization, I believe that civilization is today. I believe that we were a nation that once honored God. This nation was birthed on the preface of looking for a place to worship God in spirit and in truth. And when the Puritans came and established the church, it was a, it was a place that worshiped. The governments worshiped. The nation worshiped God. But as many of us realize, America has kind of fallen away from that God intensity, that God idea, that God worship. And now we pretty much all do our own thing. And uh, the Bible prophesied and said that this would come to pass and there would be a season when uh, people would not call upon the name of the Lord. But I'm seeing a shift. And as you're watching and as you're listening and as you're around other ministries, there seems to be a hunger for the things of God it seems like this Generation X is not satisfied with the boomers or the beamers, but this generation is looking for something. And I thank God for this generation that's not afraid to go to where the things of God are and be a part of that. There are ministries right now raising up all over the nation that is turning people's hearts towards the things of God and away from their problems and their frustrations. Something happens when you connect with God. Things change when you connect with God. And when you connect with God, God has a purpose and a plan. Probably one of the most quoted scriptures right now in this generation is Jeremiah where he said, I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans. And at the end of this plan, there is expected end. There's a, there's a blessing. There's a reward. And the word declares that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to hear him say one of two things. There's only two options. We're going to hear him say, well done, Thy good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over the little. I'm going to make a ruler over any. Or we're going to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. There's no gray area. There's no, there's no beige uh, in, the, in that. It's one or two. You stand before God and hear him say, hey, you've done good. Welcome home. Here's what I got for you. Or you're going to hear him say, I called and you refused. I extended my hand and you ignored. I want to be the first batch. I want to be the batch that hears him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And we're going to say, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? And he will say, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And I know our focus the past several months has heavily been upon Queen for a day. And we know that one day doesn't decide the caliber or the consistency of a fellowship or a church, but it, share, it shares the heart of the church that if we had our way, we would have Queen for a day every Saturday. 
If we had our, well, let me rephrase that. Most of us that have absolutely no idea what goes on behind the scenes would celebrate Queen for Day every, every Saturday. But we have the privilege this week in touching the ones that God loves, the ones that God cares about, the ones that have been thrown away, the ones that have been discarded. There have been so many testimonies of ladies' lives changed. You're all aware of the young lady that decided that she was going to end her life. She was going to take her life, and someone insisted that she came Saturday and she did not take her life Friday. She came Saturday. She reconnected with the Lord. She turned her life over to him. She's serving him today. And I believe she's going to be working this. You're saying yes? That she will be a part of the Queen for Day this year to give back what she received last year. If nothing else ever happens in Queen for Day, that one soul is worth every single effort every single stipend, everything that we do to make uh, Saturday a success, it will be success because lives are going to be changed and lives are going to be touched. But if nothing happens but that one girl stands before God and says, I'm here today because of Queen for a Day, it's worth it all. And we know that there are hundreds, dozens and hundreds of testimonies and things that will happen. Uh, people from all over the nation have been supporting, have been sending. Last year we were blessed with... Uh, Katy Perry's, all of her makeup that was given to her that she did not use, we were blessed with that. So we've touched, we've touched the hearts of all over the nation, people that may never come to Cleveland, may never be a part of Queen for a Day, but they give and they sow and they send their money, and we thank God for that. And I think that is the preface of this church, that whosoever, he came for whosoever, so we look and see the best way that we can minister to whosoever. The important thing here is that Habakkuk cried out to God. If you'll notice chapter 2, just turn the page. Notice chapter 2 and verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Interesting verbiage here, interesting communication. Habakkuk knows that he has spoken out of order. Habakkuk knows that he has complained. Habakkuk knows that he's going to give account to God. And Habakkuk realizes that when he calls out to God, God is going to not just correct, not just instruct, but God is going to bless. And as Habakkuk makes a time, he sets aside a time, and he says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to eat another bite. I'm not going to drink another drink. I'm not leaving here until I hear from God. And when he speaks to me, I'm going to receive what he has to say because that's what I need to survive. I remember reading a book. Uh, it wasn't really a, a, a book that was mass-produced, but it was a book written by A.A. Allen. At one time, A.A. Allen had a ministry that he was raising the dead and he was opening blind eyes and he was healing the crippled through the power of God, a phenomenal healing evangelist. But there was a season in A.A. Allen's life where he said, I'm so hungry for the things of God, I'm going to do whatever it takes to find God's attention, get God's attention, and hear from God. And he locked himself in a closet, and he told his wife, don't, don't, don't bother me, don't knock on the door, don't bring me food, don't bring me water. I am not leaving this closet until God speaks to me. And the, the hours turned into days. He did not leave. He stayed there. And while he was there, there were seven things that God showed him. He wrote a book entitled The Seven Things That God Showed Me. That kind of tenacity, that kind of effort, that kind of, of, of heart's desire, God will honor that. God will honor the one that says, hey, I'm going to set everything to the side, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to find the things of God. 35, 36 years ago, 
I decided that I was going to go to G Creek and I was going to camp out and I was going to stay there 40 days and I wasn't going to eat and I wasn't going to drink and I wasn't leaving G Creek campground until I heard from the Lord. The first day it rained, my sleeping bag got wet. The second day, a bear comes sniffing around my tent. And the third day, I was so hungry, I could have eaten a horse. And so I left that, I left that camp, got on Highway 30, stuck my thumb out, got picked up by a state trooper. He said, what are you doing? I said, I need to get to a restaurant. I am starved. And he said, why are you out here? I said, well, I was looking for God, but I, I didn't find him, and I need to go get something to eat. And uh, he dropped me off at the restaurant. I didn't have any money, and there weren't cell phones in those days, but I had a hard line. And Al, I called Starla Ridge. I said, Starla, come get me and bring some money. I've ordered, I've eaten, and I can't pay for it. But I remember that was a, a season that was very precious to me, those times when you would get alone with the Lord, and you would fast, and you would pray. And I've never really seen the spiritual uh, advantage of fasting other than it crucifies me. And it crucifies my attitudes and my wants and my appetites and says, I want the things of God. And later the Lord helped me on a 16-day fast where he spoke very, very clearly to me and told me exactly what he wanted to do with my life. And that was almost 34, that was, actually that was 35 years ago. And from that day till now, I've walked in that word. I've walked in that rhema. I've walked in that direction. I'm here to tell you, God is not hiding from you. God is hiding for you. And he can't be found. And he's putting things in his word, not to hide them from you, but to hide them for you. The enemy cannot understand God's destiny and purpose in your life, cannot understand the word of God. So God hides that information, and God hides that detail, and God hides that direction in his word. In the past couple of Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the word and, and finding what the word has to say. And the Bible says he sent his word, and his word healed them. It said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. So the past five weeks to 10 weeks, we've had this, this search, this, this, this desire, this pursuit of what does God's word have to say? And Pastor Ronnie shared Wednesday night, and I probably missed the quote, but if you don't have an appetite for the things of God, if you'll start reading the word of God, it is addicting. It is appealing, and it, it is satisfying. And if you say, well, I, I really don't re read my Bible like I should, well, just, just start small. Start reading a chapter a day. Start reading a couple of verses a day. And then during the day, see what God says, see what God does. Get up in, in the morning, get you a cup of coffee get, or a cup of tea or whatever you drink in the morning. Hopefully not vodka and gin. But get, 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 a, get a place alone where you cannot be disturbed. You cannot be bothered. Leave the phone somewhere else. Shut the door. Lock the door and say, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to wake up this morning with the Lord. It amazes you what kind of attitude you'll have. People say, well, if you make your bed, you're going to get things accomplished. I say if you spend 15 minutes alone with God every morning, there's no telling what you and he are going to get into that day. And he's just waiting to party. He's waiting to play. The Bible says in us he moves and has his being, and God enjoys you, and God enjoys doing stuff with you, and God is excited about you. And if God has a wallet, your picture's in it. And right now he's showing off to all the angels saying, look here at my children down there in Cleveland, Tennessee. They could be at Walmart. They could be at the Beltway. But there they are in my house. I think I'll go down there and just do what I do. He shows up. He shows out. He shows off. And you do not leave the same way when you came in. If you came in broken, you leave fixed. If you came in tired, you leave refreshed. If you came in sick, you leave healed. If you came in lost, you leave found. He changes us when we pursue and look for him. And so, I, so Habakkuk realizes, 
I'm out of order. I'm not where I need to be, but I've called to God. And God's going to talk to me. God's going to speak to me. God's going to give me direction, and I'm going to wait for it. Look at somebody and say, wait. Notice verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he that may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for a point time at the end. Remember Jeremiah said there's an expected end. At the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Kind of a double negative there. But the, the, the highlight of that particular scripture right now is this. Wait for it. Wait for it. If I have a title this morning, it's simply entitled, Hurry Up and Wait. Hurry Up and Wait. I cannot tell you how many times in life, in line, I've said that. Cannot tell you. I have probably said it at the Department of Motor Vehicles. I have probably said it at the Social Security office. I probably said it at Walgreens. I probably said it at a theater. I probably said it at a restaurant. I don't like to wait. That's not something I like to do. Sometimes I'll play a game, and if I go to Zaxby's and there's 10 or 12 cars in the drive-thru, I'll go in line, and then I'll get my food, and I'll see where I would have been in line. I don't know that you ever do that. I noticed on the freeway yesterday that no matter how stopped the traffic was, there's always that one person that's going to speed up and then slow down and then get over in your lane, and you're going to have to slow down. That happened so much yesterday, it was funny, so I decided I'm going to play that game. So I started speeding up, and I started moving over and staying in the fast lane. But there's just something in us that we do not want to wait. Now, there are times in my life that I know I'm going to wait, so I'm ready for it. There's a place in Gatlinburg. It's something pantry, pancake pantry. And we'll, we will leave early in the morning, Cleveland. We'll drive, however, hour and a half, two hours to get there. And then we get there, there's always a line out the door. And, and we go prepared knowing there's going to be a line, and we wait. And to be honest with you, the food is good, but it's not great. It's not phenomenal or sensational or something that you would write home about, but it's something that you wait for. And I think the many times that when the, the line went all the way around outside, went down the, that little strip center there on both sides, and, and I thought about, man, we could have gone to Cracker Barrel and probably had a better meal and probably got right in and right out. But there's some things in life that are waiting for. And I, want, I have a definition of patience. I probably got it from Facebook. But here's the definition of patience. Are you ready? The ability to wait with a positive attitude. The ability to wait with a positive attitude. God told Habakkuk, write the vision down. I'm going to make it come to pass. But there's a season that you're going to have to wait for it. But I promise you, I promise you, you can take this to the bank. I will bring it to pass, and it will happen exactly as I have planned. Because God said, I've got good plans for your life. I'm going to change you. I'm going to turn things around in your life. As you look at the Word of God, God never visited somebody that he left them the same way as he found them. Every single story of the Bible, when there's a God encounter, there's a change and there's a restoration, restoration, and there's a resurrection, and you find yourself a better person than you were the day before. There's a great book. Uh, we've, we've shared it through the years several times, and I will not 
bore you with a lot of the book, except the book brings to our attention that there are seven seasons in a person's life. And when I think about seasons, I think about gardening, I think about planting, and I think about fruit, and there are things you don't look for in December because that's not the season it's going to blossom and bloom and produce. There is a flower in my garden. It's called the 4 o'clock, and the reason it's called 4 o'clock is because every day at 4 o'clock, I think my flowers, though, are in central time because they start blooming at 3 o'clock. But anyway, it's called 4 o'clock, and the reason it's called 4 o'clock is because 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it blooms. It's a beautiful yellow, and it is invasive. If the seed falls, it will take over if you're not careful. But that's what it does because that's what God created it to do. And God created a pear tree to produce pears. God called a a cauliflower seed to produce cauliflower. He established it all up that if you plant something effectively, sooner or later it's going to blossom, it's going to bloom, and it's going to produce fruit. That's what God is all about. And I've shared this with you earlier, but this, this past week as I was pulling into the ranch on the right, there were these beautiful, I mean, they were gorgeous. They were about the size of a golf ball. And they were a beautiful purple, like a spike, like a like a spike ball. And as I I drove by that those flowers, those flowers are there because I planted them. But ironically, they weren't flowers; they were weeds. And I saw them one day, and I said, "Man, that's a gorgeous." And I learned it was a weed it has real nasty thorns on it. It would really it would hurt you if you tried to pluck it. But I took that that weed. And I took the seed from the pod, and I planted it along the driveway. And now when you pull around the driveway, there's a bunch of weeds, these beautiful purple weeds. So even weeds, if they're left to grow long enough, are going to produce something. Look at somebody and say, I, ha- I know exactly what he's talking about. Because in my yard, there is only weeds, dandelions and clover, and all those little, all those little yellow flowers that, that show up everywhere. But there are seven seasons in a person's life, and I realized this uh, this past week, two weeks ago, when I prepared this message, that there's also seven seasons in a Christian's walk, in a pilgrim's walk, walking where God wants you to walk and doing what God wants you to do. And the first season of life that we step into, obviously, is a season of an infant, of being a baby. You're held, you depend upon everybody else for, or you, 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 you help me. Depend upon somebody else for everything. How's that? You depend upon, you're a baby, you're an infant. And then you step into puberty, become a child, and then you become a teenager, and, and, and you have that season where you go to school, and then you, 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 trans, you transform from being a teenager to being 18 where you know it all, and you go to college, and you get a higher education, and then out of college you produce a career, and you have a career that you begin to make money. You begin to enjoy the, the benefits of your work. And then in that career, you find a wife that you can afford. And you get married. And there's that season of marriage, which is a whole other season, completely different from the previous five. And then in that season of marriage, all of a sudden, you become a parent. And the, the responsibility of raising the child in the purpose and, and the honor of the things of God. And then you go from that, 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 that child uh, a season to be the best season of all, the best season a lot of us are in right now, and that's the season of being a grandparent. There's nothing like being a grandparent because your kids are like, your grandkids are like Netflix movies. You bring them over, you enjoy them, then you send them home before that 24 hours is up, and, and, and you get to just enjoy the very best of them, and uh, Courtney might say something about Sky, and I say, well, I never see that. She never does that. That's not, that's not, but there, there are times, I'm sure, 
when she doesn't put on her best performance hanging around Grandpa. But I love being a papa. I love that season. I love where I'm at right now with my family, with Christine at home and Courtney at home and, and Skyler. So she's just a joy. And I have learned, and I learned it. Courtney and Christine taught me that there'll come a day when I'm not important anymore in their life and they don't want to hang out with me. So while, es while Esther is, is tiny, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. They will tell you if I'm reading, if I'm watching TV, whatever I'm doing, when she comes in the room, I drop everything I'm doing, and it's all about her. Because there'll come a day when she won't want to hang out with Papa. Papa will be old and boring, and she'll want to hang out and do something else. But this is a very good season in my life. But then I look at that season in your spirituality. And, and again, we all start out as babes. The Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. And we're, we're, we're baby Christians. And I don't know if you remember when you were a baby Christian that it was like, it was like thing, the things of God were so precious and so fresh and so spontaneous. I remember when I committed my heart to the Lord, I went to every Bible study I could find. I went to every church service I could find. I went to every prayer meeting I could find. There was just something about being a, a baby in the things of God and, and, and watching God move and watching God minister. When I came to the Lord, I was horrifically addicted to drugs and physically was way out of shape and financially was a joke. And in that relationship of being a baby Christian, I watched God restore. I watched God heal. I watched God move. And I, I would like to get that hunger and that tenacity back that I had when I was a baby because in my, in my, in my suitcase, the only thing that was important was pursuing the things of God. Then life happens. We go from that transition of being a baby then we realize that we are children, children of God, adopted. That means all the blessings that God has for Jesus are all the blessings he has for us, that we are important to God. God, is, God, is, God cares about us, and he's watching over us, and as a parent will instruct a child and correct a child and give a child knowledge and wisdom, so do we step in that season of just, we're just a child. We're a child. We love the things of God. We're learning the things of God. We're growing in the things of God. And that it's not very long before, after we're children of God, we realize we're not just children, but we're sons. And everything changes when you're a son. I remember some of the uh, things that I put my dad through. And one of the main things I put my dad through was I could take apart any 10-speed. I could take the derailleur off. I could take the brakes off. But I never could get it back together. And I remember I would, I would work in the yard and, and I was frustrated. I couldn't get the derailleur to work, the thing to shift. And, 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 and I, in my frustration, I left all my tools right there in the yard. Well, then Dad would come along and mow the lawn. And almost every week you would hear this horrible grinding sound coming from a lawnmower where Dad ran over a crescent wrench or a pair of pliers, something that I left laying there in the, in the, in the, in the grass. And I, I, I look back so many times how Dad had my back, and, and I know he must have been frustrated. And then Angel came into my life and started borrowing my tools and not bringing them back and leaving them on the job and leaving them at the renters. And leaving. And I said, you know what, uh, uh, what is that word about, about he hell is the, the uh, paybacks for hell? And uh, so I got to experience that. I know now how my dad felt when he ran over that, that pipe wrench and tore up the lawnmower. And, uh, but there's that, there's that sonship. And then you, you transition from the sonship to realizing there's a purpose and plan for your life. And it's the purpose and plan of being a disciple. 
Jesus said, go and make disciples. I'll make you fisher of men. And then you go into a season where you realize it's not all about you. It's about somebody else and freely receive, freely give. And you realize that you are the only light in a dark place that people are going to see. And I've shared this. It happened this past week. I was washing the car. Actually, I wasn't washing it. Walter was washing it. But there was a guy that sat down next to me on the bench, and we just... We, we, we started a visit, we started, and come to find out he, at that particular time in his life, he was horrifically hooked on pills, and I was able to share with him, I know what it's like to be horrific, horrifically addicted. I know what it's like to go 10 days without sleep. I know what it's like to, to spend your last dollar on a line of cocaine. I understand all that about the needles. I understand all about that. And the Lord allowed me right there on the bench to preach the entire message of restoration and healing. And he asked if I could pray with him. He said I could. And we prayed together. He didn't ask the Lord into his heart, but he gave me opportunity to lay hands on him and declare the goodness of God in his life. So you go in this discipleship mode where you realize God wants to use you to bless others. And Alex, that's what it's all about. God blesses me so that I can bless others. And you, you step in that disciple, and then all of a sudden, as you are in that disciple mode, you begin to realize that there is a covenant, and you are a part of it. And in covenant, when Rhonda and I got married, everything she owned became mine. And, and she didn't own a whole lot except clothes that fit her, and she had a little Volkswagen. And little Volkswagen, we never could get it running. We couldn't get it started. I remember... Rhonda's dad was pushing me down the road 80 miles an hour, and I was popping the clutch, and I was trying to get that thing to start. And I got to thinking about when we went into covenant, not only did everything that she owned uh, belong to me, but everything that I owned belonged to her. And when you join the family of God and you become a child of God, you realize that everything that God owns belongs to you, and everything that you own belongs to God. God will take your grief, your misery, your pain, your frustration, your discouragement, your depression. He will take all of that, and he will give you the peace that passeth all understanding and the joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the two things that you and I are looking for every single day of our life, either in the natural or in the spiritual, there's only two things that we're looking for is peace and joy. And there's a generation right now that's finding their peace in a hydro. They're finding their peace in a Valium. They're finding their peace in morphine. They're finding their peace in Percocet. Then there's a generation that's finding their joy in alcohol and finding their joy in cocaine and finding their joy in meth. And those are two buttons in our spirit that God wants us to have those two things. That's why we will medicate to be, to be high or to be low, to have the peace or to have the, the joy. And God puts those things in your life that are only found through him a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you, it, it, the volume can't compete. Hydros can't compete. Drugs cannot compete with the joy that God gives you when he fills your heart with the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important to have that joy unspeakable and full of glory. But what is joy unspeakable? Because God will overwhelm you at times with so much joy, you can't grasp it. You can't. It, it's almost like you get so much, you've got to give it away. You've got to share. It's like... Um, Mike McCormick goes to uh, Chattanooga every Wednesday, and there for 25 cents a pound, he'll buy food. And while he's there, because he's there every week, uh, they will give, the food bank will give him stuff. And uh, last week, Mike called and said, hey, said, uh, I got some stuff for you. Go by the church. And I went by the church, and there's 18 boxes full of Keurig coffee. I mean, I mean, hundreds. I, mentally, I figured 
$2,800 of coffee. And all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed because I will never drink $2,800 worth of coffee in the next five years. So I started making phone calls. I called Ron. I called Nicole. I called Becky. I, I, I called Melissa. I said, hey, do you have a Keurig? So you have a Keurig. Well, come by because I have got curry coming out of my ears. And even after they've hit it pretty heavy, I still have 12 boxes of, of coffee, flavored and unflavored, in, 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 my, in my storage. That's exactly how God works in covenant. All that God has belongs to you, and we have not because we ask not or we ask amiss. We're asking for the three wishes, but I'm asking for the genie. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't just want a partial blessing. I don't want a partial input. I want all that God has for me because he has good plans and he's watching those plans and he's going to make sure they come to pass. So I thank God for that, that ability that we step into covenant. Then we step into covenant, we realize that there is a promise that the Lord is coming back for a bride without spot, without blemish. And then I realize that I am engaged that one day that I am going to be married. There's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a resurrection. We're going to heaven. And for seven years, Jesus is going to perform that wedding. And he's going to marry us. And we're going to be a part of the family of God. And then after the end of the great tribulation, there's going to be a thousand years millennium where God is going to reconnect with Israel and remarry. God's divorced right now, but he will remarry Israel after he marries his son to the church. And I'm so glad that we are part of that church. And that, that's, a, that's a destiny. That's a, that's a purpose. That's a goal. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's the end game, that we'll be a part of that family and we will be married to Jesus Christ. And then I see after we get married and there's that covenant, then all of a sudden we start birthing children. And people are getting saved because of our testimony. People are getting saved because of our influence. People are getting saved because of, of our lifestyle and our life story. And God will put you right in the middle. They say that one bad apple spoils the whole, the whole container. Let me tell you something. One good Christian can turn a business upside down. One good Christian can turn a softball team upside down. One good Christian can turn a business upside down. You get somebody planted and doing the things of God, there's going to be a change in that environment. And God has sent you and called you to be environmental changers. But we're supposed to wait for all this. We're supposed to be patient. Man, it's like, it's like two days before Christmas. Can anybody relate? And my parents were never the kind of parents that would let us open one early. I don't like parents like that. Do we have those parents like that? that you're, you're, they, they let you open one early. Okay, the only thing that Pastor Rhonda lets us open early on Christmas Eve is what she knows to be our pajamas. And every year she gives everybody pajamas. And so Christmas Eve, before Christmas morning, we open our pajamas. Chris, right, Christmas pajamas, which you only wear that one week and then they're useless the rest of the year. But, 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 but the point of it is, while I'm opening the Christmas pajamas, I know there's a bottle of happy under that tree with my name on it. I know that there's a box of shotgun shells under that tree with my name on it. I pretty much know all the gifts I'm always going to get because I always get those gifts. Those are the gifts I'm going to get. My mom always got white shoulders every single Christmas. For 50 years, I, I got mom white shoulders. So knowing what was under the, the tree and the anticipation of that day coming to pass, that's where a lot of us are. We're at that place where we are 
waiting for a breakthrough. And if I had time, I would take Dr. Seuss and I would read that one chapter that talks about waiting, waiting for this, waiting for that, waiting for your train to come in, waiting for your ship to come in, waiting for all those things to take place. Pastor Rhonda was stomping in my garden today when she quoted David. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined his ear and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the miry clay, set me upon a rock, established my goings and put a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it and fear the, the name of the Lord. And that's where David was at. David said, I am in a pit. I am in trouble. I am frustrated. I am weary. I am burnt out. However, I'm calling out to God. I'm making a, I'm, I'm, I'm making a standard here. I'm making a, I'm making a statement. God, I cannot go any farther without your help. God, I cannot be what I'm supposed to be without your help. And what is so crazy, as David waits for the Lord, God comes to where David's at, takes him out of that clay, takes him out of that junk, bathes him, sets him on a rock, and establishes him. And when I look at that, that establishment that God did in David's life, and I'll conclude with this, and I'll be, I'll be, very, I'll be very brief here in this area. But as I, as I look at the life of David, I look at five attributes of a waiter. Five attributes of a waiter. There are four definitions for the word wait. If you told me that at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning, you're going to take me to the best place on the river to catch a bass, and I'd probably catch a 10-pound largemouth, I'd be ready at 3.30. If, if you came over to my house today and, and I fed you lunch, I would get ice in your glass, I would get your silverware, I would bring food to your table, I would wait upon you. Does that make sense? And then there's the wait, Isaiah 40 and 31, that that word wait where it says, they that wait upon the Lord, that word is not to serve, that word is not to tarry, but that word means, it's quava, and it means to take three strands and bind them together like a, like a braid. And, and Ecclesiastes 4 and 12 says, a threefold cord is not easily broken. And when you bind yourself and you get yourself entangled in the things of God, good things are going to happen. When God is, God is the focus of your life and the purpose of your life and the direction of your life, everything in your life will change. And the first thing that will happen is that you'll mount up like an eagle and you'll leave the pit you're in. You'll leave the valley you're in. And you'll go to that second heaven where worship takes place and God moves and God blesses. They shall, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's that, that's that spiritual energy that God gives us to pursue and become all that God wants us to be. This past couple of weeks, I've watched Pastor Rhonda and Susan and others uh, kind of step into a, a, um, a, super, a super woman or a supergirl mode. I mean, the things that they're doing, the things that are accomplishing the list, and usually early in this, in this uh, adventure, I'll get up every morning and she will tell you, I'll ask her, what can I do today to take pressure off of you? Okay, I never say that two months before Queen for a day. Because if I say that, she's going to give me a list on a legal pad, and then and then when she gives me, and she will tell you if she gets if she gives me a list, I get it done. I am a list checker offer. I'm I'm pretty good about that. If there's something that needs to be done, I will do it. But they're they're just <laughs> queen for a day. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But they that wait upon the Lord in this text where David said, I waited for the Lord, that word in the Hebrew means, are you ready? Ambush. I'm going to ambush God. I'm going to find him. I'm going to seek him out. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know him in the power of his resurrection. I'm going I'm to be, be in the perfect will of God, the perfect center of God. I am going to ambush God. And that probably won't happen on a golf course. It probably won't happen at Walmart. But it'll happen in a place that you determine holy. And you establish a secret place of the Most High where God abides in. That's the place that God is calling you to that you can ambush God and you can find out his purpose and his plan for your life. And we, we see the life of David, and I won't, I won't go there. Matter of fact, you know what, I, what I'll do? I'll start next week with this because I really don't want to rush through this, but I will conclude with this. There's a word that I'm researching right now, and that word is prudence, P-R-U-D-E-N-T. It is used in the Hebrew form 168 times. And every time it's used, it deals with somebody with a different mindset. When you look at, when you look at that word prudent, it talks about a person that their thought process is not on the norm, but their thought process is on the things of God. They're thinking the things of God. The Bible said David had the ability to teach his, his musicians to prophesy on their instruments, not play, prophesy. And I was going to talk with Chris and, and Josh, and, and maybe we'll practice this, but I believe that we have the ability to take those instruments and to play chords we've not played before, and play licks we've not, and just prophetically play in the Lord, where Josh would just get on the piano, and the girls begin to sing prophetically a new song. That's, that's a person with a different mindset. The sons of Issachar had the ability to discern the time. That was a different thought process. Nehemiah was raising up people that they were operating in a different thought process. And that's where God is leading us, that our mind can be renewed and we can have the mind of Christ. You say, that's not possible. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought not robbery equal of God, but made of himself no, no distinction, humbled himself and became obedient to death even the death of the cross wherefore aren't you glad there's a wherefore god has also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow every tongue can should confess to the glory of the father and that is that mindset that's that place that god has for us you may be frustrated you may feel like well I'm, i've been waiting i've been waiting and i've been waiting and you know if you're waiting for a husband it probably wouldn't hurt you to go out on a date if you're sitting around Friday night playing Scrabble, I mean, if you're, if, you're waiting for, if you're waiting for an education, it probably wouldn't hurt you to go to school. I mean, just a thought, just a possibility. If you're waiting for a job, it, it might be a good, good idea to, to pull out an application. I mean, just a thought, just a possibility. There was a guy several years ago, he told the Lord, he said, Lord, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give you 10%. God was silent. A couple days later, he said, Lord, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give you 50%. God still was silent. The third time, he said, God, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give you 90%. God said, buy a ticket. 20 minutes later, oh, buy a ticket. Okay. That's right. It's important to be involved in something while you're waiting for the things of God. When David was anointed to be king, he wasn't king the next day, but there was a window from the age of 17 to the age of 30, 
there was a 13-year window that David waited to be the king. And next, next week, we'll look at those things he waited for and some of the things that God did in his life. Uh, Austin, if you'll help me with some, with just, a, just a, a song there from the Lord. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. If you're here this morning and you may be one of those that you're waiting for something, might be waiting for a job or a raise or a healing in your body or a relationship, and you say, Pastor Hank, it's, it's just like I've waited and waited and waited. It seems like everybody around me is getting blessed. Everybody around me is healthy. But I just, I don't know. It just seems like I don't know if I'm making bad decisions. I don't know if I'm hanging around bad people. I don't know if I'm doing the wrong thing, but I just... I don't really feel a lot of a lot of fulfillment in being a part of the kingdom. I just feel like there's more that God has for me. There's more I can do. There's more I can be involved in. And to be honest with you, I'm just a little bit frustrated. I'm like Habakkuk, and I can share with you a lot of things that are going wrong and a lot of things that aren't happening. But I want to be that next chapter of Habakkuk where I wait for the Lord, and he says, get a vision, write it down, make it big, pursue it, wait on it. I want to step from chapter 1 to chapter 2. I don't want to be a complainer. But I want to be a conqueror. I want to see God move and minister in my life. For that, where you're at, no one's looking around. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Just put your hand up. Right back down. I'm just really at a place. Sure, sure, sure. Hands going up all over this building. Father, you see every hand. You see every heart. You see the desires that we have. And as babies, we, we fell in love with your word. And we nursed on that word. And things have got so busy that sometimes see, we get a we get away from that direction and we get away from that correction and, and we stop reading, we stop learning, and we stop growing. Give us a hunger. Give every one of us a hunger. As that, as that baby pursues the breast of that mom because of that milk, that, that taste in his, in his taste buds that you put there as a baby for him to aggressively pursue, put that taste back in our mouth. Let us begin to pursue you with all of our heart, with all of our spirit, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our emotion, all of our being. Let us let us find that secret place in the Most High. Let's set aside time to ambush you. Let us, let, us, let us learn to pursue you and find you and learn you're not hiding from us, you're hiding for us. And we're going to make the effort, and if we make the effort, you will bless it. We pray for every hand, every heart, and that person who's not where they need to be, I pray this morning that you would just reach down and just engulf them, just embrace them, just let your presence be known to them and let them know they're not alone, that you're in control you're watching over them, and you care how they turn out. You care what happens to them tomorrow. You care what happens in their life. And we reach out for that love, and we reach out for that affection. In Jesus' name, and you all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation this morning for the power of his word? I want to give you a chance to sow in what God deems as an offering. Tithe is a statement of trust. We tithe because we trust. And uh, when things get tight, sometimes there's pressure. Not to tithe, but I, like David, have been young. I now am old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed out begging bread. Uh, last Sunday, uh, the Lord spoke to me to do something that I really don't normally do in the middle of the month. And I didn't really, I had it, but I really had some other things that were uh, important. I knew that I was going on a journey that it would be several tanks of gas and maybe a, a motel and, and maybe some meals on the road. And I was budgeting all of that. And, uh, and I didn't really wrestle with God, but uh, God nudged me. And I said, well, God, you, you know where I'm at this week. I've got to go to Arkansas, and you know where I'm at financially. And uh, I obeyed the Lord. And I, I did it in the service what God told me to do. 
39 seconds later, 39 seconds later, someone gave me three times what I planted. And so I've, I've, I've learned it's all about trust. Tithing is a big deal. You give a 10% of your gross to things of God every week, that's quite a statement. That's quite a, that's quite a, but God honors that boldness and God honors that sacrifice.